It's so good to see you, and you're so welcome today to all of our locations. Come on, show our Navin locations, off locations. Let's celebrate through the modern waters of technology the fact that we can be doing this all together, one church in three locations. And of course, if this is your first time, you're especially, especially welcome. Uh, and if you're part of the family, it's just great to see you. Isn't it nice to finally see some sunshine? I had a friend who was on the phone the other day, and he said, I'd love to come to Ireland. I'm thinking of coming over next year. He said, you know, what, what kind of uh, cl climate do you have when it comes to summer? Like, is your summer like northern hemisphere, southern hemisphere? Like, when is summer? And, of course, there's a long pause. I responded, there's a Tuesday in June, once a year, where about two hours, we, the Irish, experience summer. Uh, and if you miss it, that's it. You're going to spend more. As I said, people, you don't come to Ireland for the sunshine, right? I know why you're here. It's for the people. Nervous laughter. Well, I'm just going to choose to believe that. Uh, and wherever you're from, wherever you got here, uh, we're just glad that you're here. And we're glad that the sun is shining in Ireland. We are, of course, in part two of a series that we're doing a collection of talks called Reassembly Required. And again, a very short series, a few weeks long. But what we're looking at is a beginner's guide. I have to stress, this isn't exhaustive. It isn't everything. It isn't the 21 volumes of Britannica on relationships. It's very much a beginner's guide to building healthy relations. Why? Because one of the, the thing that we have, we've got a few things in common, but one of the most important things to us and about us that we have in common is that we're all connected as people to other people. Hopefully in this room, you are loved by some people, those in other locations, and if you're not, we love you, and hopefully you love some people. And if you don't love us, hopefully you'll grow to love us. And th those, relate, those connections are called relations. And what's so interesting is relationships are so natural, they're so normal, which is a, a normative part of life. It's so much of our struggle, so much of our stress, so much of the tensions in our lives happen when our relationships aren't healthy. So last week in part one, in a message called Instructions Not Included, I kind of laid the foundation for today's talk. I gave you a key verse which we'll circle back to in a little while and kind of show, showed you that really if, if we're going to be healthy when it comes to our relationships, it isn't just a, a fluky thing like some people are gifted at doing relations better than others or it's an extrovert thing or introvert thing or a man thing or a woman thing or an Irish thing, a Filipino thing or an African thing. It's like we can all get better at relations. Today in part two, we call the message back to you. Now last week if you are here, you'll remember I said that relationships are a lot like cars, okay? And not these cars, although you can learn a lot from the Light McQueen series. If you want to you get some really good relationship advice, watch Light McQueen, okay? Especially the first one. It's amazing. And I won't lie, I do cry every time I watch it. And especially when he, like, gives up first. I won't spoil the story. It's just it's, it's too good. Not like this. That's just, I get sidetracked every time. Re relationships are a lot more like cars in this regard, right? Next photo, please. In that we're very good at learning how to drive them, and we find buying them, especially when we have the money, very easy. What we're not good at, what not, what's not intuitive, what's not easy is maintaining them. And if you do happen to purchase a car, uh, most of your cars will come with one of these in the glove box. Anyone know what this is? Never even seen this in your car? I'm really worried right now. Well, most of your vehicles, if you later on, it's a big surprise waiting for you when you get back to your car, if you have one. You'll open the glove box, and usually there's a little, uh, what would you call it, a, a leather or plastic, whatever material, it's wallet. And when you open this wallet, there's a number of little booklets that come with your car in the wallet. For example, I have here a quick start guide, which includes driver controls, vehicle access, comfort adjustments, engine start. There's a very good one. Operating the vehicle, touchscreen, 
audio system with touchscreen, navigation, telephone, and filling station information. Also a very important one. But then I also have a alternative quick start guide. Because obviously the quick start guide isn't a very good guide, so they put a second one in there. Then I have warranty benefits. Then I have a service portfolio. Then I have a rear seat entertainment and technology rear quick start guide. That's three quick start guides. How quick is this start really guide me? Then I have an owner's handbook supplementation form. Then I have information on servicing form. And that's all I can find in my car. My car is a few years old, so I'm sure there was more in this little wallet at one point, but over time, it's probably disappeared. The point is, is that whenever you buy a piece of furniture from an Ikea, 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 you know, and, and it comes with instructions when you buy a car. I mean, very often what we get is we get instructions how to build, we get some troubleshooting guides for the problem solve, but the one thing that people don't teach when it comes to building houses, building furniture, buying cars, and building relationships is how to fix them when they're broken. That's why we have professionals. We have professionals because when you can't get rid of a ghost by yourself, you call the... Come on, guys, who are you going to call? You're going to call the Ghostbusters. That's right. It's like we need perfection. Thank God if you're someone who's special, we need you. But in the same way, where do we go? Like you go to mechanic with a broken car. I've got a problem right now with my immersion that won't heat up the water. The water's cold. Everybody's horrible. You know what I'm saying? Where do we go? We call the perfection. Now, here's a little confession because I think it's very important for us if we're going to be a relationship series to talk about, you know, confession because confession is good for your soul. I'm going to confess something on behalf of all the lads in this room and on our two locations. You ready? We're not as good as we make you think we are. Before the advent, and I'm old enough to remember what it was like to live in a world without YouTube, we were useless. The average man spent at least another 70% per annum on maintenance before the advent of... What, when YouTube began with kittens, remember that? And like people doing pranks... And that was a cute start. Has now become the salvation for men worldwide. I surprise myself with the things I fix. I go, sure, there's no way I can fix that. And I get in YouTube, your man makes it look five steps to solving your block shower. I'm like, oh, here we go. And it's like, oh, okay. Ba, 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 done. And of course, let me continue the confession on behalf of all men. We fix it, and the, the wife or the mother or the sister or the person within goes, oh my gosh. Where did you learn to do that? It's like, I mean, it's a man thing. I mean, I just stood there and I looked at it long enough and my superior masculine powers just brought me the solution. And so here I am, your hero, available seven days a week. Sorry to spoil the fun, guys, but of course, it wasn't for YouTube. We'd all go back to the dark ages when it comes to maintenance. But again, the point I'm driving here is we have YouTube for help with showers. We have mechanics and, and, and electricians and plumbers for help with, with heating and, and plumbing issues. Where do we go? Where do we turn to when we need help in our day-to-day -day relations? And what we're discovering in this beginner's guide is that there's, there's decisions. In this series, there are decisions that we learn, decisions that we can choose, decisions that we can adapt to, decisions that we can put into practice in our life. And these decisions pave the way to healthy relations. Now, there are some choices because not all the decisions we can make are necessarily healthy. Last week, I told you there are some helpful choices and there are some hellish choices. One of the ones that we revert to naturally is what we call the C4 approach. It's called the C4 approach because there's four Cs, but it's also called the C4 approach because like the dynamite or the explosive C4, when you implement things, these things, when you try to manage other people, when you try to fix people out of their funk, when you try to get your hands on other people and solve them, not the issue you're both facing, but you try to fix them, then usually people are very receptive, aren't they? Very happy with that. No, they're like, they, it turns explosive. What are the four C's? The four things we turn to, number one, we try to convince people. Number two, we try to convict people. Number three, we try to co coerce people. Number four, we try to control. Convincing is the idea. If I give you more information, if I, if I just overwhelm you with my superior rationale and logic, surely you will see sense 
And then you'll agree with me that you, we both know that I'm right, right? Number two is to convict. This is playing the moral dilemma game. Like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe if you were this, if you were that, if you were a loving son, if you were a good husband, if you were a good, and it's like, oh man, I feel so bad inside, I feel awful. The coercive game, it, that, that, that's a tactical game of manipulation and moving pieces, and you never really know what's going on, but you feel like things aren't really healthy. And of course, the controlling is probably the most obvious. That's where people try to force their will and their way on us. Now, we revert to these things very naturally, unfortunately, because these are coping mechanisms that we learn when we're like two and three, when we're in play school, when it comes to getting your little cup of juice and your sandwich before all the other kids do. You've got to survive in that dog-eat-dog, toddler world, right? But the problem is our life, our world moves on, but we mentally and emotionally and relationally stay in the capacity of toddlership. And then we wonder why we're struggling. And the truth is, even though we, we, can, we can identify with these, with these instances as we go through them, oh man, I've definitely done that and I've definitely done that, we can also identify when they've been done to us. And how do we react when someone that we love or care for or work with or are just connected to, how do we react when those four C's are used against? Well, we naturally resist. It's like, I don't care how clear your logic is, I don't agree. I don't care how much you're going to try and make me uh, emotionally feel bad. I'm just going to reject. I don't care how much you're going to try and move the pieces. I'm going to break free. I don't care how much you're going to try and control me. Get those filthy hands off me. You can tell which one I don't like the most. And again, these things don't make us malevolent. They don't make us bad people. They don't make us bad. They're just tools that we reach for. But they're the wrong tools. We find ourselves under stress, in tension, relationally. And so we reach for the wrong tools. And then we say the wrong things. And then we end up in the wrong places. It's like, man, how did I get here? And then what happens, which is very, very special and very unique to mankind, is that when we feel like our backs are against the wall, when we feel like it's, it's kill or be killed relationally, metaphorically speaking, people, you know, when it's like verbal skirmishing and it's like we're tit for tat kind of thing, then we always have the option to go nuclear. We have the option to press the red button. And you all know, come on, the red button. What are some red button statements? You're just like your mother. I've never said this. That might be a lie. Or maybe a parent to a child. I wish you were never born. Or I can't believe I was foolish enough to think I could ever trust you. Or, here's a good marriage, how could I ever think I could trust you again? And of course, you know there's many, many options, but when you press that red button, it's like, like you know what you're doing. You're thinking, I'm going to rain down hell, but when everything's gone and everyone's gone and the whole thing's obliterated, at least I can stand in my pride and say, you see, I was right. And we're so stupid, I mean it's legit, legitimate, that we would rather lose the person than lose the argument. That we would, sorry, that we would rather, we would rather lose the person, we'd rather lose the relationship and be proved right in the argument than lose the argument to save the person. Now again, I'm not being too harsh because I know that most times we do this. We're not even aware. We're not even fully cognizant. We're not even really clued in. We're not always aware that we're using these tools. It's not immediately obvious to us that we're, we're caught in this downward spiral of relational destruction. But what we can agree on today, if you're a Christ follower or not a Christ follower here in our locations, is that bottom line, the C4 approach, the nuclear approach, it doesn't work. It's not helpful. It doesn't work. It doesn't heal. It doesn't bring us closer to other people. It doesn't restore. It doesn't reconcile. And the problem, of course, is, is that even though it seems like there's action, there's energy, there's movement, nothing's resolved. And the bigger problem, of course, is relationally, is that when we choose the C4 approach, especially the nuclear approach, what happens is not only is nothing resolved, but people on the opposite end of this approach feel rejected. This is very important because one of, the, one of the most dangerous things any of us can ever experience, especially from the people that we love, is a sense or form of rejection. 
And nothing brings death and destruction. Nothing breaks down trust. Nothing erodes time. Nothing can tear a relationship apart quite like the power of rejection. Why? Because inside every one of us, come on, in this room and other locations, whether you're a man, woman, young, old, whether you're Christ or not, we all have this longing to be liked. We all have this deep-seated need to be loved. And really what we're saying to that spouse, that co-worker, that sibling, that teammate, that friend, that BFF, is I want you to like me for me. I don't want, you, I don't want to feel like you'll only like me if I give in to your convincing. I don't want to feel like you'll only like me if I go, give in to your convicting. I don't want to feel like you'll only like me if I submit myself to your coercion. And I don't want you to like me if I play your game and allow you to control me. Why? Because if the only way, this is really good relationship advice, by the way, if you're a young person and your boyfriend, girlfriend, listen carefully. If the only way they'll accept you is if you give into their game, they're not worth it. I'll say something stronger. If you're a person of faith, you're a Jesus follower, you're a Christian, and you're in a relationship, and the, and the price of having that relationship is ejecting Jesus, they're not worth it. Because let me tell you something very important. This might be a little bit controversial, but I'm going to say it anyway. When they're long gone, Jesus will still be here. When they've hurt, and they've betrayed, and they've abandoned, and they've moved on, and they've long forgotten about you and the promises and the future, and you've given up everything for them, Jesus will still be there for you. And if you're someone right now in this room or one of our locations, you've come to this place brokenhearted on the receiving end of something like that, know that you are in the right place right now because God sees you and God wants you. We all have this deep-seated longing to be liked for who we really are. Now again, this makes a challenge because like, well, I mean, how do we do this? This is really complicated. And what I want you to know again, just to make it simple, is that reassembling relationships, reassembling and building healthy relationships is a learned skill. It's a learned skill. That's what we're trying to do in this series. But I also want you to know as a kind of fundamental point right now is that we are only as happy relationship. When it comes to our life, our love, and our relationships, we're only as happy as our relationships are healthy. Come on, those of you who are married for more than a year, you know that when the missus is not well, nothing's well. I mean, you could have played the best game of golf, Ireland might have won the World Cup. You might have won the lottery. You know, questions there. Um, all these great things might have happened. But if the missus is not well, nothing's well. I tell you, it took me more years, I'd like to admit, to figure this out. But sometimes the boy's like, what's going on? I said, listen, your mother's not happy. And I'm like, and so we're not happy. Because if she's not happy, no one's happy. But when she's happy... We're all happy, okay? So, so when our, when again, it's not always, always a marriage thing, but it could be a work thing. Whatever relationships are coming to mind as I'm speaking, we're only as happy as our core and most important relationships are healthy. Now, here's the thing that TikTok, Instagram, and no one talks about when it comes to happiness. If this premise is true and you want to be a happier person then grow healthier relationships. If your relationships are healthy in work, you'll be happy in work. If your relationships are healthy in life, you'll be happy in life. If your marriage is healthy, you'll be happy. I mean, you could be going through hell on earth, but if the relationship that you are in is gen- not perfect, not perfect, but healthy, then almost illogically, despite what you're facing, you are happy. And again, we notice why. Flip the coin over. Broken relationships take a toll on our mental, emotional, and physical health. We know, we know what it is to experience the drain physically, emotionally, and uh, even spiritually when it comes to relationships that are being connected to or part of or watching or being dragged down by relationships that are not healthy. So last week, we asked the question, well, what is the goal? And we said, well, the goal is not reconciliation, which sounds like a, a counterintuitive, oxymoronic uh, you know, contradiction. Because it's like, well, if you're telling me we need to build healthy relationships, we have to restore and reconcile, then why is the goal not 
reconciliation. The reason, of course, is because we cannot set a goal for other adults. Like I told you last week, if you set a goal for another adult human being, that's an agenda, okay? And if you have an agenda to fix them, you're back to the C4 thing. So our goal can only be what we're responsible for. And we're only one half of any reconciliation. Are you with me? So all we can control is our side of the reconciliatory process, which is I'm going to do everything in my power. I'm going to do everything with the energy, capacity, time, talent, treasure I have to make sure when it comes to this relationship and its brokenness and my attempt to make it healthy again, I am going to live with no regrets. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that I can look back and say, I did everything I could to make that relationship healthy. Now, the reason why this is important is because when it comes to adapting and adjusting and changing, one of the problems with the C4 approach is that when we think about, okay, okay, you're right, I, I've been very controlling of late. Or, you know what, I'm trying to convince you I'm sorry. Or, you know, I know I'm getting too heavy with the emotional conviction thing. What we try to do as human beings is we go, okay, you know what, I am not going to be controlling. I am not going to be convincing. I am not going to be coercive and I am not going to be convicting. The problem with that is, is that these decisions to not are not decisions. Now, get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. They are decisions. They're just not decisions. I will not be. I will not go. I will not do. I will not. And we know, again, just partly speaking, that, that not decisions are, are a fraction of the, have a fraction of the power of a proactive decision. A decision, to put it differently, to not, the decision not to do something uh, is not enough to get something done. Just to say, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to fall. I'm not. How many times have you promised yourself this on so many other levels and you failed miserably, me included? Why? Because a not decision is not good enough to get something done. Reassembling broken relations, assembling healthy relations requires proactive decisions. Not just not, but proactive decisions. And again, here is the core kind of thought for our series. It was taken from the message last week. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 is the letter that the Apostle Paul, Paul wrote to a church like this in an ancient city called Philippi. He said in chapter 2 verse 5, In your relationships, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, the same perspective, the same attitude, the same prioritization, have the same character, have the same approach as Christ Jesus. And again, this is really powerful. Why? Because this, is, this gives us hope. This gives us help. If you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, if you're in one of our locations, and right now you've come, you're curious, you're wondering, you got invited, so glad you're here. And honestly, I really hope something of today's message helps you. But know that if you're here online and you are not a Jesus follower, this advice is optional. It's helpful, but it's optional. You know, the, 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 the scriptures are written to the church. Sometimes, again, this is so interesting. One of the pushbacks people who would say, who describe themselves as non-Christ followers give, is to talk about all these rules that, that are in the Bible that are so harsh and so mean and so controlling and so coercive and so convicting and so convincing. And it's like, well, those aren't for you. It's very quiet here in Dublin, guys. They're not for you. If you're not a Jesus follower, they don't apply to you. It doesn't mean they're not true. It doesn't mean they can't help your life. It doesn't mean there aren't consequences, but they don't apply because these are written to Jesus. They're optional, 100% up to you. And I hope they're helpful. But listen carefully right now in this location online, Navin and in Doc. If you're a Jesus follower, then they're not optional. Because if you say, I follow Jesus, well, then Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset. Not like, not similar, not be inspired by. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What's so interesting is, is non-Christians push back to the Christian faith because go, oh man, so much of what's in the word is, is, is rules and laws and then Christians are hypocrites. Like, hang on, the letters are written to Christians. Newsflash, the reason why Paul wrote the letters is because even the first Christians couldn't get it right. 
just because God gives the standard doesn't mean that we have to meet the standard to be perfect. There's benefit. There, there's application. There's goodness. There's blessing in us. Leaning, desiring, walking, hoping, obeying, following after Jesus. If you're here, if you're in one of our locations and you're a Jesus follower, the things that we're talking about should be distinctives that people see at work in us and go, that person's a Jesus follower. Not our, not our, our sticker or our badge or our claim or our Facebook post. It's how we live. Our banner, our, our slogan, the way that we're identified is that we follow Jesus. Now, this brings a challenge. Why? Because all of a sudden... When it comes to reassembling broken relationships, it's not about them or the other person. The answer isn't out there. What Paul challenges with is the answer is here. It begins with us. Reassembling a a relationship, building healthy relationship, requires proactive decisions. And last week we learned that one of the decisions we need to make is is to seek to be like Jesus in our relationships. And we also heard that reassembling, if you're here and you're feeling down or you're feeling broken, you're feeling tired, one of our relations, understand that you're in the right place. Why? Because reassembling broken relationships is God's speciality. Like if you need a specialist for a broken heart or a broken mind or a broken soul, you are in the right place. Because God specializes in healing broken hearts. And what I also know as we continue is that reassembling broken relationships, when it comes to this word, we hope, you know, we want, hope you to know, we want you to know, we hope that you would hope that there, that there is hope for you. We want you to experience that there is hope. No matter where you are, what you're going through, maybe right now you feel alone and lost, no one sees you. Maybe you're going through a bitter divorce. Maybe you, you, you had a breakdown with a sibling. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe a friend that you trust has betrayed you. Wherever you are, I want you to know today there is hope and there is help in Jesus. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to turn real quick to the book of Romans, chapter 12. I'm going to do a few verses. I want to give you one really simple, one, just one really simple and very powerful, proactive decision that we can make to grow, to foster growth, to help growth in healthy relationships. And also, if you're if for someone that's in a relationship teetering right now, to also bring it back, to nurse it back to health. And as always, our message notes are in the Bible app by you version. So if you want to put your phone and you can uh, get your camera out, the QR code, all of today's notes, like every week, are on the Bible app. And if you haven't already made Lighthouse Church, your church, on the app, every week you get notifications about the notes about two hours before service begins. Okay, so Romans chapter 12, and we're going to read from verse 9. And the Apostle Paul says this, again, just to kind of set the context, just like Philippians 2, 5, Philippians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Philippi. The book of Romans is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church that at the time existed the city of Rome. And Paul, from what we understand, had never been to Rome. He did not know these people. He speaks personally and intimately about these very difficult things, not because he knows them, but because he knows God knows them and God wants what's best for him. So verse 9, he starts off by saying this, love must be sincere. Love must be sincere. Sincere. I mean, this word love, I, mean, I, I could do a whole series on the word love and, and all the ways love is translated and utilized. And we, we love cake and we love football and we love our mother and we love Jesus. Like, man, we, did, we should have like five or six different words. It's, it's like you can't use a screwdriver to fix everything. It's like it fixed screws. You know what I'm saying? We have different tools for purposes. But when it comes to the word love, we're lost because we only have one word. So we love chocolate and we love our mammy. And it's like, is it a compliment of chocolate or an insult to mammy? I don't really know unless your mammy loves chocolate, in which case it's like a perfect harmony made in heaven. It's like we struggle. And so Paul understands this possible. Well, whatever you know, love is, in essence, love, and again, it's defined uh, in the book. If you ever want to get a biblical uh, definition of love, go to John's Gospel, chapter 17, and look at how Jesus defines love. Jesus defined love as this, not as a feeling alone, but as an action, an action of giving up of oneself for someone else. And he says this love should be sincere. Now, what does the word sincere mean? Well, in the original Greek language, it means to be genuine. 
That our love, if we're going to foster healthy relationships, if we're going to be the kind of church that people see, and not by our branding or our music, or, but people see how we live, and they see love at work within us in Dublin, Navin, and Dock, well then, it needs to be a genuine love. Not a faking, not a pretending, but a real love. A love that is deep, a love that is authentic, a love that is not perfect, a love that makes mistakes, but a love that always gets back up anyway, because that's what love is. Paul says to us, like our church, that if we're going to foster and grow healthy relations, it begins with us and it begins with love. We have to make a choice to pave the road of our future with love. Not fake love, pretend love, not feelings, not affections, not infatuations, but love. What's also interesting is going to say that we should hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Now, what's so interesting is, man, he's actually telling us to hate something. That's a bit of a surprise in the Bible. I thought the opposite of love was hate. I thought that by being loved, being Christian folk, you know, we shouldn't hate. This is, again, one of the pushbacks culturally. People think, man, to be a Christian means you become a proverbial Ned Flanders. It's like, Okie dokie, it's like, you know, we're all so happy and so positive, we can't say a bad word. It's like, no, hang on, love is love and love must be sincere. But there's also hate. Now, I know that in this room and in our locations, none of us would say we hate anybody. I mean, come on, we're far too mature, Jamie, far too sophisticated. You know, the world isn't on. We don't really hate anybody. Hate's not the word I'd use. It's like a, a general dislike, a disgust. You know, it's like, I don't, we're not really into them. They don't, I'm not vibing. It's like, we would use many, many other words. But the truth is, we hate them. And we know we hate them. And they know we hate them. And we all know we're all hating them because we're human beings. And we hate stuff. I hate traffic. And sometimes the work of the Holy Spirit is don't hate those who cause the traffic. Hate the traffic. Hate the natural reality of all human beings and vehicles and not the people in said vehicles. And I can go on. I'm going to choose to stop right there because I have a whole thing going on in my head here. I'm not going to run out of rabbit trail. But we hate stuff. What Paul is saying is that it, it, it's, it's okay to hate, but we need to reallocate our hate. We need to hate the right things. We need to hate the right things and not hate evil. Here's a question. Here's a question. What if you decided right now, what if your big takeaway, what if you decide right now to hate what happened and not who made it happen? What if you made a decision this moment about work, in school, with your friend, with your spouse, with your parents, with your sister, with that person that lied, betrayed, treated? So what if you made a decision? I'm not going to hate the person. I'm going to hate the cheating. I'm going to hate the lying. I'm going to hate the stealing. I'm going, to hate this. I'm going to hate what happened, but I'm not going to fall into the trap of hating who made it happen. What if we decided to hate something and not someone? See, the Apostle Paul says hate is natural, and we should hate what is evil. The opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is evil. And we should hate things that are evil. What, are, what is evil? Evil is at its core total narcissistic selfishness. It's all that I want and all that I believe I deserve at the expense of everybody else. If I have a desire, if I have a dream, if I'm going to achieve, achieve something and you get in my way, that's on you. That's evil. We should hate what people do. People do racist things. People do mean things. People do uh, abuse, they murder, they kill, they lie, war. We should hate these things because they're not of God and they're not good and they're always propping someone up at the expense of someone else. But someone else always loses. And a sincere, genuine, Jesus-like mindset love loves all people, at all times, in all circumstances. And again, I'm not saying we're there right now, but God, in His, in His mercy and grace, is trying to get us there. And, I'm, and by the way, I'm not saying that I'm the chief cheerleader in this either. I need help. All I'm saying is that I read the words of Scripture and I see an outline for what real, genuine, sincere, powerful love can look like. And that's not enough to try act like some Irish version of Ned Flanders, old Neddy boy. Ah, go on, Neddy there. The old neighbor. 
It's like, it's like the gospel at work within us transforms to the point that we can get to a level of seeing what happened was really bad and I hate that that happened. But God gives me the grace not to hate the person that did it. Verse 10. So he continues. So we should be devoted, he says, to one another in love. And again, this is a very interesting verse. If I had more time, wouldn't you? But like, again, if you're a Jesus follower, I mean, you can go to church. You can be part of a church. You can attend a church. But are you devoted? Because again, God's plan, excuse me, for us is that we would be devoted to one another in love. And one of the ways we demonstrate devotion is by liking and spending time with each other. Again, a sermon the other day. But the key word is honor one another above yourselves. Now that word honor in the Greek literally is a choice. To honor someone means that I choose to put them first. And again, as we often say here, we don't honor other people because they're honorable. We honor other people because we are honoring. Honor does not begin in the other person. Honor begins in us. It's a choice. Because I'm honoring, even though they may not be the most honorable, I'm going to make a choice to defer, put myself second, to put my ego, my pride second, and to put the other person first. So much of a relational funk could take a, take a giant leap towards restoration. If, if, if one of us, or both of us even better, would make a decision to honor and put the other first. In fact, think about it. It isn't, isn't part of the reason why communication breaks, break, breaks down. Isn't so much the reason why communication breaks down. Because we choose to put ourselves first. No, 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 I'm talking. No, it's my turn. No, 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 I want to say my part. It's like, it's like even in the conversation, because there's no honor in dialogue, there's no hope for restoration. If we can put, without losing ourselves, like I said last week, humility isn't putting yourself down. Humility is lifting the other person up. If we can honor each other and put each other first, imagine what God can do. Verse 11, he says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. That word zeal is translated as a passion, as an energy, as an enthusiasm. This idea that as we, we again, this is for those who are Jesus followers, that you know, when it comes to our, our living and being, our faith should be a zealous faith, not in a weird, like, over-the-top kind of way, but that we should be characterized by our passion, our energy, our enthusiasm, that we're excited about the things of God. And one of the ways that we demonstrate that, as it says in the verse, is by serving the Lord. One of the ways we can serve the Lord is, of course, by volunteering and serving in church. And again, I'm so grateful, aren't we all, for all the dream team members. Come on, in Navin, in Dublin, in the dock. Come on, the show appreciation. Our kids workers, our falter team, next steps team, our band, production team, and all the teams that make this happen. We're so glad that those people aren't miserable Marys and moaning Michaels who are like, oh, oh, just, oh, I have to serve today. Oh, oh it's terrible. It's like, welcome to church. Oh. Man, if I go to a church like that, I'm going to turn around and go home. It's like, I already have enough misery in my life. I don't need to go to your miserable church. Like, give me something worth going to. And the greatest advertisement of who we are isn't our billboards and our online website and our Instagram page. Our biggest advertisement are you, our people. Because it's a genuine passion and enthusiasm and energy for what God is doing in our day. And we're excited by it and we're committed to it. And it's a very powerful thing. And again, it's another series of the day. Paul gives verse 12. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. Faithful in prayer. And again, these are, these are, these are choices that he's, in, he's, he's given the option. You can not be joyful and be hopeless. And that's a disaster. Right? One of the fastest ways for your mental health to deteriorate is when you allow yourself to slip into complete hopelessness. And sometimes hope is a matter of perspective. Sometimes we can't see hope. That's why we need people who can see hope for us. But when we grasp hope, when we have the hope and the help that we have in the person of Jesus, even though things that are happening to us are tough. And by the way, when this letter was written, Christians in Rome were being murdered for their faith. We see the footage, what's happening in Ukraine, it's horrible, and we hate that war. Come on, somebody. And we pray for peace and justice continually for the war to end. However, I mean, in this, in this instance, these poor people weren't at war. They were just being killed freely and wildly. What was their crime? They, they would say or profess, I am a Jesus follower. 
That's, that's some serious, zealous faith right there. Faith worth dying for. Paul's advice is, hey, there's hope. If a lion eats you, you're going to heaven. If your whole family is fed to some bears, don't worry. You can be, you can be joyful. And it's like, wow. I mean, I was thinking with the fact that right now we're going through some things. I mean, I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're going through a difficult divorce. Maybe you're going through an issue where you're stuck in debt. Maybe right now you're struggling mentally. Uh, maybe you're like one of the millions of people are right now that are affected by this housing thing. I know me and my wife, we're losing our house right now. Landlord asked for the house back. We have a certain amount of time to leave. There's nothing available. We're stuck. Probably going to go homeless. C'est la vie. It's like, man, how, I want to experience this hope and this joy that even the face of great adversity is true and authentic. It isn't put on. isn't fake. It's genuine. It's, it comes from a genuine love. Pause. We can experience joy when we have hope. We can experience patience in affliction as we're faithful in prayer. As we lean on God, as we look to God to our source, we can find resources available to us that we don't have in our own strength. Verse 13, he also continues, share with the Lord's people uh, who are in need. Uh, verse 13, please. Be, uh, practice hospitality, he says. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. <laughs> this thing's stuck. <laughs> bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now again, these people were going through real persecution. I know when you're like 14, your parents won't give you pocket money, it let you go to the disco, you think, oh man, I'd be persecuted. But like, this is real persecution. They're actually losing jobs, losing homes, losing their lives for their faith. And Paul's advice them, God's advice them in that moment, is you can't control what's happening to you. That's outside your control. But you can choose who you are in the face of what's happening to you. And you can become like the people who are doing these mean things to you. And you can eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, or you can choose to be different. You can choose to the same mindset as Jesus Christ. You can choose to bless and not curse. You can choose, verse 15, to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn for those who mourn. And again, it's a challenge. Why? Because what if the person who hurt you, what if the person who's, who's causing the pain, of, what if their sadness makes me happy? What happens when you have the opportunity to get back? What happens when the opportunity for revenge comes along? What happens when those who cursed you and persecuted you, you now have the power to exact the same response to them? And Paul says, well, if you want to have the same if you, want to, if you want to do it your way, cool, and go to the C4 approach, but if you want to have the same mindset as Jesus, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate people with opposition. Do not be proud. Again, what's the alternative? The C4 approach. I mean, we can go, no, no, thank you. I don't, I don't want to live in harmony. I don't want to bless. I don't want to forgive. I'm just going to press the red button. I'm going to blow up C4 approach. I'm going to blow up this relationship I'm going to choose to go nuclear. I'm going to get what's mine. I'm going to get my pound of flesh. I'm going to let the world know that I am nobody's fool. You can choose that approach. But then again, we find ourselves in the same relational funk. Or, as Paul concludes in verse 17, we can make this decision. No matter what's been said to us, done against us, no matter who's cursed us, are persecutors. We can make a decision not to repay anyone evil for evil. What does the word repay mean? To put it in the, in the colloquial term vernacular, to repay means to get even. To get even means to get back at. To get back at makes us feel good. It feels good to get back at people. Come on, everybody. It feels good to exact revenge. It feels good. It feels like a sense of justice. When we're able to get back at someone who got us, and our culture loves a good revenge story. Most of you know this fine Irish specimen and his story of revenge. What's the famous line? I don't know who you are, but I will find you and I will bless you in Jesus' name. <laughs> That's the Christian version. Here's another cultural favorite of revenge. Oh, this guy, I don't know who this guy is. So goodbye, Miss Mary. Goodbye. Boom! Django and Chase. I'm not endorsing these movies. I'm not saying you should watch them at all. But you might learn some things. Or perhaps one of the most uh, recent of revenge stories of this guy. Anyone know who he is? 
John Wick. I mean, Liam Neeson's daughter was taken. Django's wife was murdered. And someone killed John Wick's dog. It's like no matter what it is, it's like we love a great revenge story. It's like, yes, we got him. Woohoo! It's almost like a sense of justice. But sometimes you gotta wonder, as Liam Neeson and Django and John are going around snapping necks and killing bad guys, how would his mother feel about that? Is that really the only option? Maybe there's a time. Maybe there is a time where it's the only option. But what happens when it's an option in a selection of options? Here's what I want to say to you. Your heavenly father wants better for you. He wants you to be in relationships that are healthy and happy. He wants you to live a life that is whole and fulfilling. And he wants you to be someone who lives in the world and makes the world you live in a better place as you become better. That's why, back to the core verse, Philippians 2.5. In your relations with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Here's the main point. Here's what I'm going to say. Then we're going to close in prayer. To reassemble broken relationships. To build healthy relationships. We need to make a choice. Here's a choice. Choice is this. I'm going to decide not to get back at, but to get back to. I'm going to decide not to get back at, to repay evil for evil. I'm not going to hate the person. I can hate what happened. It's awful. But I am not, I am deciding not to get back at. I'm deciding I'm going to get back to them. I'm going to do everything in my power as much as I can to make reconciliation possible. It can't be my goal because I can't control the other person, but it can be my highest aim, my hope, my prayer. This is how, if you're a Jesus follower, we follow Jesus. That's why going to church and doing Christian things is by being Christ-like. And more important than that, as we close, this decision means we don't go halfway. The question is, well, how do you know if you've only gone halfway? How do you know in the process of reconciliation you've only gotten halfway? Here's the answer. You get to the point where you say, well, I'll forgive. And then eventually over time you go, I forgave. And someone will say, how are you and so-and-so doing? How are things at work? How are things with the missus? How are things with that person? You say, well... I've forgiven and I'm waiting. Forgiving and waiting, that's a cop-out. Forgiving and waiting is getting back at. Because we're saying, I've forgiven you and when you're ready to pay your dues, I'm right here waiting for you to come groveling to me. It's like we've missed the point. We may have forgiven them, but our our wishing and waiting, our wanting and waiting, that isn't reconciliation. That's, that's another way of weaponizing something to make a point to their person. Besides, which is the same mindset as Jesus. What did Jesus do? God did not stop with forgiveness. Yes, he forgave us. Jesus died on the cross so he could be forgiven. But forgiveness was a means to an end. Because God could just forgive us. Like, okay, you're forgiven. Okay, that's it. And no connection, no relationship, no help. No healing. It's like, we're forgiven. Great. God's purpose wasn't just to forgive us. Forgiveness was a, was a vehicle. It was a means to an end. God was not content in just forgiving us. God desired and desires, if you're here, not a Jesus follower, to reconcile us to himself in relationship. This is what love is. This is what love does. This is what love requires. The goal for us as Jesus followers is that we would follow Jesus and have no regrets. And if you're here at one of the locations, you're not a Jesus follower, my hope for you is that you would make a decision to follow Jesus and have no regrets. What does that look like today? Making this decision. I will not get back at. I will get back to. I will not lose the person and win the argument. I'd rather lose the argument and win the person. I hate what happened. I'm not going to switch off my emotions or deny reality. I'm going to hate what happened, but I refuse to hate the person. I'm going to get back to. I'm going to do everything in my power. I have the same mindset as Jesus. And maybe with Jesus' help, as I'm patient in affliction, as I'm joyful in hope, as I'm faithful in prayer, I can see that relationship restored. And that over time, we can get to a place that was better than it ever was before. 
As we close, I want to give you a prayer. Because that's all great, but what about some practical handles? How do I put this to work in my life? And as I'm talking, you're thinking, and obviously throughout the talk, you're thinking about certain instances, circumstances, and people. And what I want to do is I want to give you a practical tool, a very simple prayer that you can pray that can help you to get back to and not get back at. Get back at prayer is God, find them and smite them. And sometimes we pray those prayers, not fully meaning them. But to reassemble a broken relationship, here's the prayer to pray. Heavenly Father, help me to see, what's that name in your mind right now? His name, her name, mother, father, friend, co-worker, classmate. Who's, who's that person? Help me to see that person the way you do. Right now, my hate is directed at them. Help me put my hate on what happened, what they did to me, what happened between us. But help me to see that person like you do. And then if you want to go next level, if you want to go nuclear in the Christian sense, here's even more powerful prayer. Heavenly Father, help me to feel toward that person. And you insert the name the way you feel. Like I said, there is hope. Why? Because reassembling broken relationships is God's speciality. And as much as we would like God to be mad at them, God is not mad at them. Yes, they've done things to you. Yes, they've hurt you. But just like God is not mad at you, God is not mad at them. God is mad about them. God loves them and God is mad about you. And you know this. And so a powerful prayer that can change us and change a relationship is help me to see them the way you see them. And as we open our hearts toward it, maybe you're here, you're not Jesus far, and again, the band can come in all locations. Band, get ready. We're going to a response song. I want, I want to leave you with this thought as we go into this response song. It's like, as we pray this prayer, even though things don't change, we change. And the way we see things change. And usually the first step to things changing is that we would change in the context of our things. And maybe you're here or in one of our locations, you're not a Jesus follower. And you've never prayed before, you don't believe in the power of prayer. Listen, let, me, let, me, let me challenge you. Pray this prayer. Apply it to that relationship right now. It's hurting, wailing, or broken. And see if God does not answer. God works, moves, lives. His speciality is broken hearts and broken relationships. And I want, and I think God wants us to be healthy and happy. In fact, the word blessed, the root word for the word blessed in the original language, Hebrew, literally means to be happy. God wants to be healthy and happy, but we can't be when the most important relations around us are far from that. I want to encourage you. There is hope and there is help in Jesus. If we put our trust in Him, He will answer those prayers. Amen. Amen.